Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Today, we're going to explore the one educational subject that I believe causes the most grief and frustration for parents and their kids. It's a four-letter word that has the power to turn a peaceful moment at home into a battle for survival. Now, I'm talking about math, of course, and my guest today, Dr. Aditya Nagrath, has a contagious passion for it. And he has a bold promise for you parents who'd rather lock your bedroom door and turn up an 80s playlist real loud than help your kids with their homework. He guarantees that your child will learn one year of math in just three months, doing 30 minutes a week using his system, which is affectionately called elephant learning. And get this, the kids who use it really enjoy it. In fact, they'll choose to spend their time learning without you having to say anything. So... You want to get some of your sanity and free time back? And of course, you know, what really matters most is setting your kids up for future success. And in a world increasingly more tech and data-driven, math problem-solving skills are more important than ever. So let's find out more today about this incredible guy and his mission to empower children through mathematics. Dr. Aditya, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, especially as you're relaxing in your your, your warm vacation spot down in, in Mexico. So it's a real treat to have you. How how are you doing these days? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? You know, life life's an incredible adventure. I'm actually having a great year so far. And, you know, one of my real treats is is getting to to connect in and talk with uh, interesting guests like yourself. It's always a, a highlight of my week. And just kind of curious, like what's, what's one thing that has you really excited right now? What's, yeah, what gets you going? Well, we, we just actually started being able to record video. So those people that are in our system will have noticed that all of the videos or all of the subjects on the dashboard have populated with videos. And so that was the first step. And now what we're going to do is we're actually going to go back and we're going to redo algebra. And we're going to teach children to code at the same time since it's the same language. Really cool. Wow. That sounds like something uh, my kids might be into. (laughs) And, you know, we'll get a chance to really, you know, delve into a lot more about, you know, elephant learning and how it's evolved over the years and and, and how it's doing it. Now, one thing I'm really curious about, I mean, I I went to to university, got, I didn't get my PhD, but I managed to survive. um, Getting my, my undergrad in, in mathematics and computer science wasn't really, I would say, something I thrived in compared to all the other smarter people in the, in the, in the program. But what, what is it about mathematics that, get, that gets you um, so passionate about it? 
Yeah, I mean, I got a long history with mathematics. <laughs> I actually, I'd say I have some anxiety around mathematics myself. I don't really want to be trying to jump into it, though at a certain level, I do. I, I do want to go back and try to do <clears throat> more research. But I think that what it is, is that mathematics is maybe one of the purest forms of truth that is out there. So like when you look at, say, science, the papers that are coming out, say, either in medical science, or if you look at physical or physics, right, physical science, or any of these things, it's about measuring the world, it's about measuring people, it's about measuring, and then, and, and you're proving a hypothesis by collecting that data, but nothing is, is, is 100%. In mathematics, when something is logically true, it's 100%. It's mm. always true. Yeah. So there's there's a, a beauty in that that clarity and, and and understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So yeah, so so you so like you said you spent a long time journeying through through mathematics. What what are some of the problems that you see with the way math is being taught and, and learned today? I'd say the main thing is that it's nobody's fault that the main focus appears to be on how do I do it? So our system kind of covers from counting through algebra. And it's really the foundation of the language of mathematics is what it is, is, is they're all definitions. It's the numbers, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fractions. And there's a real focus on can you add, can you subtract, can you multiply, etc. And when you get to graduate level mathematics, or even towards the end of bachelor level mathematics, you start to go through formal proofs and you find out that like a lot of the assumptions and the context that we originally had with mathematics has now been changed. And it's now more of a conversation. It's more about that logical reasoning and the proof. And it may not even be equations line, line after line after line of equations. It, like most of my thesis was in words, it was logical arguments using words, and that's that's what mathematics is. And a lot of it also is defining new terms, right? So, like uh, mathematicians, we're creative in a certain sense, but we're not creative in another sense. So we're going to start reusing symbols. So this is something that, like more recently, I'm seeing more out there. I don't know if it's because I've been talking about it or because more people are talking about it in general. But like for example, the equal sign. Well, you know. The equal sign for, for students, basically right up into the university level, is defined for quantities. But we could be talking about equivalence classes of objects that are a little bit more abstract. And so then we will overload that operator, as they say in computer mm -hmm. science, right? Mm -hmm. And we will reuse that symbol and we'll say in, in this paper, in this context, when we write equals, this is what we mean. What are some of the, the main challenges that you're seeing them dealing with? The main challenge is that they, they don't understand the teacher because they don't have that language, probably partially, but not completely, right? So they may not have an idea of what's happening underneath the scenes. So the, the example I like to give is addition, where it's like, give me five things, give me four more things. But if that's, if that's not the mental model you have when you're looking at five plus four on a piece of paper, and as the teacher is describing strategies on how to do these things, such as, well, let's add three digit numbers and here's how you do it. 
without the base understanding, basically it feels like a, an exercise in memorization. Hmm. And so for the students, right, they're trying to memorize these facts that feel useless, which is why the question of like, when am I ever going to use this keeps coming up. Hmm. It's also why students are struggling uh, with word problems, right? Because if you can imagine the word problem and you can understand the context, then you're going to know which operator to use in order to solve the problem. Though what we're doing uh, a lot of times to get them to pass tests is, well, here's rules of thumbs, right? Like strategies that you can use then to solve the word problem. So we're doubling down on the strategies and it makes sense. Again, it's nobody's fault. This is just how mathematics has been taught for probably thousands of years. I don't know how they taught it a hundred years ago, but I imagine that we've been teaching it kind of the same way going down through time. And, and so it's hard for us to make a switch. I mean, people actually get quite angry. About math? <laughs> About there's math. A, there's a shocker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, there's a lot of math anxiety out there. I just did a yeah. Facebook Live where I said, uh, I wrote 3x plus 7 on the board. And I said, the answer is not 7. And I've got like hate comments saying, this is so stupid. And like, you're stupid. Wow. And I'm just like, wow, right? And the point of the video was to try to change the context to, again, this is a written language. And I didn't ask a question, just this is an equation on the board and it doesn't actually really mean anything without the context around it. And I didn't say any context out loud. Now I get in the classroom, the context is solve for X. But if we can't get the student out of that mindset into, let me read what's here and let me understand what's here. Let me understand what they're asking. Well, then it's really challenging for them to become good problem solvers. Hmm. So kind of get, getting beyond the basic mechanics of the math and really trying to understand what's, what's underlying those so that you can, you can make a better, you can, yeah. you can, you can better understand what the, what the problem is really asking is what I'm hearing. It, it's viewed almost as a thing that you do, right? But like you see the problem, you see it as math, and then immediately we're like, well, I got to solve this. I got to come up with the solution with the way that I've been trained to do it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges, my own, my own experience. And I, I have some, some bias too. Like I, my kids mostly went through homeschooling, not through formal education. And I think one of the big differences between the two is you know in a, in a classroom you're having to solve problems that aren't really in, in your real life per se right they're not things that maybe are relevant to you whereas you know if you're dealing with with you know say you're in the kitchen and you're trying to you know make something and bake something or whatever there's you know there's all kinds of math that you have to to do that or you've got a small business you're trying to run and then you know then, then you've got some context to solve a problem that you really want to solve so I, I imagine part of that challenge in trying to get people to look beyond the mechanics is for them to be motivated to, to want to find the solutions for something that isn't a problem that they, that they would have chosen necessarily, right? I mean, the, the part that's most interesting about it is that if, if you're doing any of the things that you're talking about, you've naturally picked up that language but you don't feel like you're doing math. You feel like you're cooking, you feel like you're running a business. I'm in an entrepreneur organization and the entrepreneurs in the organization tell me that, yeah, I was never good at math. But then when I see what they're doing on a daily basis, they're using math. And it's just that, it's that mindset. It's that mindset that I'm not good at this or the mindset that like, well, this is what I'm doing. 
it doesn't allow you to see the map. I'm guilty of the same thing. So like, you know, I, I was a TA for seven or eight years over at the University of Denver. People ask, when am I, when am I going to use this? And, you know, I'd have to try to think of contexts where it would be useful. Mm. And I mean, as a teacher, that's challenging because you're sitting there in the classroom and now you have to think about, you know, where, where am I using this outside of here? And it's impossible to think of real situations. Sure. So somewhere along the way, you decided this was a, a problem worth solving, was making math more easy to learn, more, more relevant for, for, for kids. How, how did you get started down this path with elephant learning? And, and you know, how did that, how did, what did the early days look like? And, and how did it start to evolve to where it is today? So this project came out of the University of Denver. It was a professor of mine who he already had some games for preschool, kindergarten. He was looking to create a National Science Foundation grant for trying to expand that. And basically, the way the grant was set up was that he had to partner with the business in order to try to bring research from the National Science Foundation to, to a business and, and create something out of it. And honestly, I, I was looking at the whole thing and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see this happening. <laughs> and then what he told me was that he said four out of five students start kindergarten unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum. And that was a shocker to me. I was like, I don't even understand how that's possible. And at the time, my wife was about five or six months pregnant. So like, I'm starting to think about this. I'm like, well, my child's going to have to go through the education system and, uh, and he's going to experience exactly what Alvaro was talking about here. So I asked him, I was like, how is that even possible that four out of five students start behind? He says, well, kindergarten starts at counting to 10. The, the assumptions, you know how to count to 10. They start teaching how to count to 20. So the teens. And the parent thinks counting to 10 is just saying the numbers one through 10. And as he was talking, I was thinking, yeah, I'm just going to get my child to be able to count to 100. <laughs> right? I mean, this can't be that hard. Give, give him, give him a leap ahead. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but then when he said that, I was like, oh, well, that's a completely different thing, right? Slide over 10 things and stop on 10 is different than saying the numbers one through 10. And I can see, you know, why, why the second one's a much harder skill. And so from there, what he, sh what he told me was that preschool math scores predict uh, your third grade reading scores, which right now this is what most educators use as the standard of how is your student going to perform? And preschool math scores predicted fifth grade overall scores, meaning it wasn't just math affected, it was all scores affected. Back to the reading thing, what was interesting about it was that the math scores predicted reading scores better than preschool reading scores. So it didn't matter how well the student was working with the letters mm. in preschool. It mattered how well they were working with the numbers in preschool. Okay. We've most recently figured out why that is because now my, my child is four years old. So we did this about four, four and a half years ago, I guess five now almost, but it's because two digit numbers is a precursor to concatenating letters. Oh, interesting. Right. It's the, it's the first brush with it. So if they're, if they're hitting that in early kindergarten, right, they're teaching counting to 20, if they're hitting that in early kindergarten. Well, that's the precursor to putting the letters together late in kindergarten. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fascinating. So yes, yeah, so as you said, you, you kind of started it off. You weren't sure it was really going to get anywhere. And then here we are four years later 
and uh, doing incredible things. So tell me, how is it that, I guess what I'm curious to know is like, what kind of, what's the difference between elephant learning and say something like Khan Academy, which a lot of our listeners would be familiar with and perhaps have used with, with their kids as another way to learn math outside of traditional school? It's a great question. So what we're doing is we are using adaptive algorithms to, to determine the student's level and keep pace with them. Even as they answer correctly, we, we speed up and we keep pace with them. And as they answer incorrectly, a lot of systems don't do this, is we go back and we try to go find the gap. So if it's been two or three weeks, or if one student played as another student, so if the older brother played as the younger brother or something like that, then when the younger brother comes back in, the system would start adapting back down to the level of the student. So that's the first thing that's different. The second thing that's different is Khan Academy is mainly videos. And it's really hard to show videos to a four or five-year-old, six-year-old and have them right. <laughs> understand what's happening in the video. Yeah, but, or, or stay uh, engaged, right? Exactly, right? But really, this is a subject that you can't learn via video. So Montessori is kind of like the best out there for teaching young students mathematics. And they use a lot of hands-on technique. They're really heavy, no technology, if my understanding is correct, and if it hasn't changed in several years. But what we do is very close to what they're doing. And actually, it's all come from the latest in early age education science. So we've taken the research papers that show that these are the activities that are most effective at teaching these concepts. And as mathematicians, we do what we do is we abstracted it and we figured out how do we keep doing it even though the research has stopped. So we had research going straight through fractions and then we started building algebra ourselves. And basically the entire time we've been teaching around a year and a half of math over the course of 10 weeks when students are using it just 30 minutes per week. So that's another big difference between us and Khan Academy is you're going to be using Khan Academy quite a bit more than 30 minutes per week. 10 minutes a day, three days a week is our recommended usage. And for younger students, uh, go less, right? If they want to stop, let them stop. Don't let them burn out. Pushing them to do more may cause burnout. So it's about letting the student just kind of play with it on their own time. And what we've seen is absolutely amazing. We've had... I think more than 10 or 20 parents stand up and say that my four-year-old is now doing fractions. I mean, this is something that psychologists don't even think four-year-olds can do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as a parent of three kids, you all at different levels of mathematical ability. I'm, I'm really soaking all this, this in and quite, quite intrigued myself. So so what, what are some of the, you mentioned about it being adaptive and kind of working with, with the child at the pace that they're at. And also, well, I'm, I'm not going to summarize it really, really well. So what, what are the, the, if you were to pull out like the core key components of making math learning successful, what, what are those things? I mean, the first thing is really just making sure the student has the underlying language and is able to connect it to the written mathematics. So if we're writing things on a piece of paper, like seven times eight, or they're memorizing their multiplication tables, it, it would be interesting to be able to see if, if they actually understand what's going on underneath. So in our book, Rethinking Math Learning, we talk about this and we talk about how you can, how you can do that. And it's a lot of actually kind of what we're doing in our system, obviously. So like groups of objects. So like I got four groups of five objects. How many objects do I have? If you see the student counting all of the 20 objects, 
Well, then what that means is that they're not using multiplication as a method to solve the problem. And so therefore, they don't either necessarily understand what multiplication is, or they don't understand that it could be applied here. So what we do to build it up is we start by just showing them that. We also do skip counting before uh, multiplication. But then in the end, to ensure that they're multiplying, we, we time it. So they only have four seconds. And this is actually kind of a, hmm. a common complaint. They're like, well, you only gave my student four seconds to solve the problem. Very angry parents <laughs> about this. But the idea is, is that on the screen is no more than 10 items and there's a guideline at five. So like if it's, we do it by groups and we do it by rows. So like if it's rows at the fifth row, there's a horizontal line showing you that here's five. And so now at most there's going to be nine rows because if it's 10, then it's an easy multiplication problem. So they have four seconds to count to at most four to see how many rows there are. The question itself says how many are in each row. So the question would sound like, there are four uh, ships in each row. How many ships do I have? And there might be seven rows. So they have to count to two in two seconds when the curtains are open. Then the curtains shut and says, well, how many ships do I have? So now there's a slider with maybe a hundred options on there. So they're not going to be guessing, but this is what we use to show ultimate proficiency, at least with that subject. And then it gets a little bit harder. We have them use both multiplication, division, and, and subtraction to see that, yeah, they can use all of these things in context. Well, and to me, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about math here. So it's, it's all about the data, right? And it's about the results. And, you know, I find it really fascinating how you, you point out that, you know, you can learn a year and a half or years worth of math in, in three months. And, 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 and in a way that is building confidence, the, the child's building confidence and, and self-driven, right? Like I was reading some of your, your, your case studies on your website and, you know, I think that's, that's the other key thing here too. It's, it's not external pushing from a parent. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. I want to do it and I'm, 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 I'm feeling capable and I have a system that's giving me the feedback to, to, to show me how I'm progressing. Right. Cause I think that's another, another difficult thing too, is, is it's sometimes hard to know how am I, you know, how am I doing? And so that, that feedback is really, really, really helpful. It's, it's the elephant age on the dashboard. It's the first thing that the students see when they log in, when the parent logs in, it's the first thing that they see. And the elephant age is the average age a student outside of our system is doing the same math as your student, as your child. So it's kind of like the Wii Fitness age, right? Like I, I remember when I was 25, I, I got on the Wii Fit for the first day and it said like, your Wii Fitness age is 40 years old. And I was like, yeah, I better do something about this. <laughs> so like... It's kind of like that, but for math. And the nice thing about it is it's a one number metric that lets your student know exactly how they're doing. And we chart it over time so they can see where they started, where they are now. And by the way that we calculate it, it never goes down. So once you've achieved a milestone, even if you forgot, even if we have to go back and revisit it, we don't, we don't take it down. It's the average of the top five ages on the milestones that you have already passed. And so that means then that the graph is always going from bottom left to top right. It's green. Like it, it's exactly what you want from a business or motivation standpoint, really. Right. Like this is, this is all the business books say, do this. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're using psychological indicators to create motivation. 
and confidence, right? That's really the thing about it is as the student achieves, because all we're really doing is we're saying that you can achieve and then we're allowing them to do it. As the student achieves, because they're mostly doing it on their own, they walk out of the system feeling like they can do it. They walk into the classroom, understanding the teacher at the, at the level of the teacher. And uh, I mean, the, res- the results are just amazing, right? Like we have a lot of students that are just extremely happy. A lot of parents that are extremely happy that they invested the time in this. Yeah. That's, and that's, you know, with my background in, in coaching in particular, and just being an entrepreneur myself, I've always seen mindset, right. as being so, so important for success in life. And so uh, that's what really struck me by what I was reading about, you know, a lot of the kids have been in, in your program is, is just what that's doing for their mindset, for their belief in themselves, which ultimately will translate into success, you know, well beyond just, just mathematics. So did that surprise you at all that you'd start to see those kinds of results just in focusing on, on math or. I think from a logical perspective, as soon as uh, everything clicked from what the professor told me, I pretty much knew exactly what I was going to do. You know, when I was in the fourth grade, I didn't get into the advanced math course. And I mean, like, we're not talking about anything here, but division. I missed it by one question. So this advanced math course was meeting in the back of the room. So what I did was I sat in the back of the room. And what I quickly learned was that they were just doing more problems than the rest of the class. And they were going at an accelerated speed. Okay. So I went at their speed. I did the homework. I did the extra homework. I turned it all in. I think my teacher ended up talking to my mom about this. I don't really like, I remember them talking and like, just like weird questions. Like they were trying to talk privately, but like I heard a little bit, (laughs) but that really changed my entire life because Hmm. several years later, I was in a, a computer science course in middle school, which they didn't really have at that time. It was like Apple II. GS is in max. And like the computer science courses were like, here's how you use a word processor. <laughs> <laughs> and here, learn how to type, which very useful skills, by the way. So like, I'm very happy I went, underwent them. I wanted to take a third course. The third course, the teacher kind of just said, yeah, we don't have a third course, but he put me in the lab with the Apple II GSs. And apparently when you turn those on, it's basic. So it's, it's the language basic. And so he said, here's a book on basic and learn it. And so like after two or three weeks, I remember more students came in, but I mean, this, this idea of being able to read a book and teach yourself and do these things that that stuck with me. I I taught myself C++ when I got to high school, I started reading books on computer graphics, mainly gaming, right? I wanted to program a video game. What else would a teenager want to do? (laughs) And, and then artificial intelligence. And I found out both were linear algebra. So I was like, wow, look at that. Right. So when I got to the university level, they actually basically pushed me straight to sophomore year. Like they just said, well, like, have you, they asked me about a link list is like, have you seen anything that looks like this? I said, no, I've I've worked with things that look like this. And then I threw, uh, I drew a back propagation neural network the guy. He's like, yeah, you know what? You know, intro to C++ is going to be easy for you. Let's just send you straight into data structures and algorithms. That's, that's where we think you belong. And, and he wasn't wrong. I started out, I, I was getting a C and then I, I really buckled down. I pulled out the book and I, I did what I had to do. And I, I somehow squeaked out with an A. Nice. Yeah. Well, as you said, you had, you had that drive and that confidence from, from all those years of, of applying yourself and just, just sort of going beyond 
what was being asked of you. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that's for me is, is I think really what separates, you know, people in life from, you know, achieving great things and, and just kind of settling is, is a lot of it's just is what's between our, our two ears and what we tell ourselves. So that's, what's got me, I think more excited about what you're doing than any of the, any of the math that, that the kids might be learning. You remember that train thing the uh, the I think I can. Oh yeah, absolutely. My, my son just was doing that the other day and I started thinking about it. And I was like, the biggest problem is like, he's saying, I think I can. The problem is, is that he needs to be saying I can. Yeah. And then he will. Yeah. Believing it. Yeah. hundred percent. Maybe just saying I will. That's, that's really the places in my life where I look back and I say, I'm going to do this. Like this project, for example, I'm going to do this. I'm taking this on. I'm going mm. to do this. Then I did. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I agreed with that. And, you know, if we're going to have, if we're going to create a better world, you know, we, we need more people who see a problem and, and just know they'll find the answer. They may not know how they're going to get there. They may not know how long it's going to take, but with the drive and the will and the belief in the self, yeah, that's how we're going to solve the big problems in our world. Your, your son's really uh, lucky to have a, you know, an amazing dad like yourself. He's <laughs> Thank you for that. So who would you say, I mean, ultimately, you know, other people you would say that elephant learning is, is, is for and, and not for, like, is, is everyone sort of ideal for, for taking a math through elephant learning? What's, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we built it with the mission to empower children with mathematics. And the idea was to empower all children with mathematics. And I mean, the statistics that we were looking at where 80% of the students were behind entering kindergarten, it happens completely along income lines. So we found out it was the lowest income earners that were the furthest behind. And it's what, I mean, when you look at all the data and you look at all of the science out there on this, it looks, it appears to be what drives the cycle of poverty. Because if you never learn math then you come out of high school and now you're not gonna be going into a math based field. And this is happening at an increasing rate because like as data is proliferating every industry, every industry is now becoming data driven. And then the professors need to teach statistics or use statistics to get points across. So like business used to be the go-to, like I know a lot of people when I was in uh, undergrad that dropped out of engineering and went into business or right. Dropped out of physics and went into business is kind of the go-to. But now that business is so statistically driven, the students that are going into business, they're now moving into the humanities. So we designed it for all children, but we've seen that not all children will use it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really, the challenge is that like some children come in, they love it, they, they succeed. Some children come in, they don't love it. Maybe the, maybe the parents driving them to use it. And then there's some children that come in and the parents not motivated to make them use it. And so therefore they don't use it. And then they're not very happy, but that brings up a really good point too, around, around the parents. Right. And, and I noticed just again, looking through your website that you also do what you can to support them on this, this journey, you know, seeing them as, as kind of that coach and support in some ways for their, their kids. And, and, you know, to be honest, you know, a lot of parents who maybe don't have confidence in themselves around math and, and kind of want to stay away from that, that taboo subject. So I'd love to speak a, have you speak a little bit about 
yeah, how how you support parents along this this journey with their kids? I'm their, glad you asked that skills. question. I'll be honest with you, right? Like a lot of people come into a into a thing like like elephant learning or a business or whatever, and they're thinking that they need to get it out perfect the first time, and we didn't come into it looking at it that way. So within within a year of using it, of having it out there, having parents use it, having feedback come back. What we quickly learned was that we identified the areas where we could help parents in order for their student to become more successful. So right now, what we do is quite a bit more advanced than what we were doing then. So now we have videos for the parent where we try to talk to them about subjects like math anxiety. Like if the parent turns on the elephant score, so there's this ability for uh, a parent to say, well, I don't want the age to show up. So what happens is the student looks at the age, says, oh, well, this age says I'm at a seven-year-old level, but I'm 10 years old and they get frustrated. So the parent says, comes back to us and says, well, is there any way to turn this off? So we added this feature to turn on the score. But when you do it, what we, what we realized was that not only does the student have math anxiety, the parent has math anxiety because the parent's looking at it and saying, whatever the evaluation said is actually emotional. And so instead of trying to coach my student through the emotions, which is what we want them to do, and we have videos on trying to help them to do, well, that specific video, the math anxiety video, instead of coaching them through it, I'm going to put a Band-Aid on it. I'm going to try to turn on this score thing. And all we do is we multiply the elephant age by 10. <laughs> so the, the parent can quickly figure out, okay, good, that they're still at a 7.8 level, but, but it's 78 for the student. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of guests on this podcast is just the importance of creating that right environment in the home, you know, for, for, for kids to be successful. So I think it's really important that you're, you're helping to tackle, you know, the issues that are showing up for the, the parents themselves in order for the child to be successful. So, and on that note, how, so I mean, you obviously, you, you focus a lot on, on the younger ages you know, what, what's kind of like the, I don't know if age is the right question, but you know, what's sort of the range of, of students that you could have on your platform or that you would encourage people to consider? Like if you were an older adult, right. And felt like you were sort of lacking in some skills around some of the math stuff and, and it was kind of getting in your way of where you wanted to go. Could you see elephant learning being uh, useful for them too? So right now we cover from counting through algebra. What we find is that even at the university level, so when I was a TA, what it was was that the students in the algebra course or the calculus course or whatever it was that I was in at that time, if they were struggling, they typically had a misconception that originated in algebra or earlier. So it wasn't until Alvaro came to me, the professor came to me and, and made this switch in my mind to where I could look at it and I could say, oh, this is really about understanding what the equal sign means. And in fact, I was talking to a business professor maybe a couple of years back and I was telling him what's going on. And he was like, well, why do you subtract five from both sides? I said, well, because the equal sign means that the quantity has to be the same. So if you subtract five from the left side, right? So the quantity on the left side became five less. Well, then you got to subtract five from the right side for them to maintain the equality. And honestly, when I was in grad school, I heard stories from some of my, my friends who went back and got masters in uh, business and they were, they were teaching assistants and they were saying things like, 
you know, students are handing in balance sheets that are not balanced. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, so. this is a fundamental concept and it's, and it's not beyond any of these students. It's not, it's, I just explained it to you. Anyone who's watching this podcast now gets it. It's just, we never stopped to really talk about it. And one, and one of the interesting things about your, your program too, is it's, you know, it's, it's basically a month to month thing. So, you know, for someone who's looking to brush up on certain things, you can kind of quickly jump in, see where you're currently at, you know, work on the skills you need to work on. You know, it's not like a long term program or something you're necessarily having to sign up for. As we produce more curriculum, it's going to become more adult appropriate, right? Because if we're teaching algebra and coding at the same time, a lot of adults want to learn that. And again, the language is exactly the same. So if I, if I'm able to, to pull this all together, this is my next challenge. If I'm able to pull this all together, we would actually produce coders that are probably better versed. They're going to be better versed at mathematics. They're going to be better versed at writing code. Hmm. Awesome. So what would you say right now is kind of your, your biggest challenge to kind of growing and expanding and, and reaching, you know, more students and families and helping in your, I mean, your overall mission of just empowering humanity in, in a sense with, with math. As we grow, there's a lot more balls in the air. So now I got a little marketing team that's trying to help us produce content all the time. I got a product development team who's, you know, writing software, testing it. We've got the customer success team and they're, they're constantly trying to improve. So we've just kind of made some key shifts there to where we're going to be able to provide a lot better support for the parents. We just actually turned on phones in, in December. So now parents can call in and get live help if they need to. It's, just during business hours, but theoretically speaking, that should be, that should be good enough. And they'll also provide help with coaching to the parents. So, you know, like it's just a lot of balls in the air, developing new curriculum on top of that. And I'm not finding a person who's going to be able to do that the way that I need to do it. So this is a place where like, I got to go get my hands dirty while juggling all this other stuff. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is the biggest challenge of running a business. Yeah. Yeah. Just, growing it and keep keeping all those those balls uh, in the air for sure. Well, if anything is shown from from your history, Ditya, you're you're up for that challenge and and you know you'll get there. So, what what's what are some final thoughts you have for for parents and and out there who are, you know, perhaps we haven't touched on yet. Yeah, why not? You know this thing that's happening in Oregon and Seattle, have you heard of that? No, no I haven't. So there's these new programs that are coming out in Oregon and Seattle and to be honest with you, it's not like that they're outrageously bad or anything like that, but they're asking students to, or sorry, they're asking teachers to keep race on the forefront of their mind. So one of the things that I saw in there was something like, after you've helped a student one-on-one, -on -one, ask them for feedback on how you could have taught that concept better after they've got it, obviously, right? And the follow-up question that the teacher asked himself was, did race play a role in that? And what's disturbing to me about this is from a leadership perspective, this puts race on the forefront of the teacher's mind on a daily basis, which means that they're going to be talking about race as well. And this is a situation where all children can learn this. It's not something where you look at it and you say, that's not scientifically proven. It is. People are learning math all over the world. In fact, better than us. And so therefore, race does not play a role in this. But 
maybe now it does to, in the student's mind, because if the teacher is saying something, it is. And really, it's that attitude that I was talking about earlier, that all children can learn. So if the teacher is not walking into the classroom with that as their mantra, then someone didn't do their job, right? That really should be the mission statement. That really should be the, the question that they ask themselves is like, well, okay, how can I do this better, right? How can I explain it better? And, and I mean, it comes down to like the misconceptions boil down to a handful of things. Like we don't have it in our system just because it's hard to go back now and figure out for each of these questions, what are the handful of things that they could have misunderstood? And then how do we determine which one of those things it is, right? So like the problem with being able to teach someone in the manner that we're talking about is that it has to be at their level. And so it boils down to just asking the student, well, why do you think this is the right answer? And when the student says, well, I think this is the right answer because, and they walk you through their logic, which is why we want students to write down their, <laughs> their work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when they walk you through their logic, uh, you're going to see what they don't understand. And now it comes down to either providing a hint, which most teachers will readily be able to do at a, at a dime's drop, or defining the topic that was misunderstood. And so I can give you a concrete example so that the parents at home can take that abstract idea and apply it. One of the questions where we got some like people coming back to us. So we give this tip to parents when we detect struggle, go to your student, ask this question. And if you don't know how to give a hint or you don't know what they don't understand, come back and talk to our customer success. We'll identify it for you. So one time in four years, I've gotten on a phone call with a parent who was just a little bit confused about this. And the question was, how many more things do we have? And what it seemed like was the student didn't understand that how many more was really referring to the difference. So it was like, well, this is an instance where you're just going to have to define when we say how many more, we're really asking about the difference. And that's just, that's just the language. That's just English language, sure. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's getting clear on that. You know, what, what, Question that's popping in my mind that I'm curious about too, just thinking ahead to our future, right? You know, I think we're getting more and more increasingly in a world where, you know, the the basic mechanics are taken in math are taken care of by us through, you know, software, computers and 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 whatnot, right? I mean, I speak into my, you know, do my workouts yesterday at the gym and I'm just speaking into my phone asking, you know, Google for the math results so I can figure out what weights I want to be lifting at or what levels of percentage and, and whatnot. So I don't have to even compute that in my head. You know, in, in a role where increasingly, you know, we don't have to do the the solving of the mechanics and it's more about processing the the information from the math. Yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that as we kind of move more into that world where it's more about, you know, understanding and, and problem solving with the results versus trying to generate them ourselves? That, that is kind of the big deal, right? So like, and I've, I've put a lot of thought into this. So like being able to add, being able to subtract, I mean, there's some, there's some benefit that I maybe can't describe, right? Like you're going, you're undergoing a problem solving process but at some point, the ability to do this does become irrelevant, right? And it does become more of, can I communicate to the computer or the calculator or whatever, how to go get the solution for me, right? And 
And that's actually what's the most important part, because as far as a life skill goes, that's been more valuable to me in the long run. Having said that, I mean, I spent years and you spent years solving for X and taking integrals and taking derivatives. And it's a type of problem solving that's occurring where you, you know, you're manipulating around this equal sign and you're manipulating all this other stuff abstractly. I don't want to say that there's no benefit that I got from it. It's just, I can't, again, put, put words to it. And again, I mean, and this is really the thing. If I can't tell the computer how to do it either in a spreadsheet or with a coding language, then what was really the point? Hmm. Yeah. And that's the piece that's missing, right? That's the piece that we're trying to fill in. If you didn't understand the language, you didn't know how to apply it. If you don't know how to apply multiplication, you can't have a computer do it for you when the problem presents itself in real life. Yeah. So underneath it all, it's, it's really about getting the, the language of math much more than the, than the, the mechanics. So especially in, in, in our age and, and moving forward, you know, in a world where so much will be automated and with AI and, and everything else. Well, Aditya, this has been a really fascinating interview. Really enjoyed our conversation today. I think you know there's a lot of a lot of families out there who are probably really excited to to take a look at elephant learning, not just to help their kids with you know the math and, and whatever uh, grade they're in at the moment, but really to give them those fundamental skills that we've been talking about. You know, to be successful in life, to have a mindset of uh, confidence and belief that they can do anything. So, where, where can they find out more information and 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 check out your your program? Yeah, if you want more information about elephant learning, just go to elephantlearning.com. If you want to try to connect me on LinkedIn, as long as you don't send me a salesy message, I'll probably connect you. <laughs> awesome. And, well, and if you want to check out the book Rethinking Math Learning. You can find that on Amazon. Awesome. And we'll have links in the in the show notes, both to the, the website and the book as well. So again, thanks so much for, for coming to the show today, especially, you know, taking some time during your, your well-deserved vacation. So I'll let you get back to your wonderful family and thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you.